Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at landmark.edu lcsi. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. You're listening to the MindShift Podcast, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Nima Gobier. There are many strategies teachers use to address student behaviors in the classroom. Some teachers use incentives like stars, points, maybe even prizes. Others might rely on discipline. Shut up! The entire assembly will stay five hours after school and copy from the dictionary. With all the conflicting advice out there, there's one thing many teachers would agree on, that it's important to establish class rules. But every teacher even goes about that differently with varying degrees of success. Today, I talked to Detroit-based educator Carla Shalaby, a former public school teacher who trains educators at the University of Michigan's School of Education. She offers new ways for teachers to think about classroom management so that they don't have to spend the whole year controlling students. She says the way teachers manage a class can actually be a chance to practice freedom. That conversation, up next. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. So teacher education programs may spend a lot of time getting teachers ready to teach content, 
but they might not ever cover classroom management strategies. Some educators might not even know that when we talk about classroom management and creating a positive learning environment for kids, it can be so much more than setting rules and disciplining students when they break rules. So one of the most important things that I feel like I've been working on recently is inviting teachers to understand that classroom management is itself a curriculum. It's a series of lessons that we're teaching young people. At the moment, I'm afraid we do this mostly unconsciously or unintentionally. And yet students are paying attention to every single move that we make in terms of how we're treating people. In fact, they're most often paying attention to those even when we think we're teaching something else. Right? We think we're teaching math. They're paying attention to how we're teaching power, how we're teaching authority, how we're teaching the use of control, um, how we're teaching definitions of safety, how we're teaching who gets to belong, who's good, who's bad. And so I think that's an exciting opportunity for teachers to be intentional. When I was teaching and I was trying to establish rules at the beginning of the school year, at my very worst, I'd be like, hey, kids, these are the rules. You need to follow them. And then at my best, I'd be like, hey, we're going to come up with the rules together, but you need to follow these rules especially. What is the best way to talk to students about rules? And what are we implicitly or explicitly teaching students by having rules? There's nothing inherently wrong with deciding on all the rules yourself as the teacher, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with any model for how you decide on what your norms or, or rules are going to be. More important than those opinions is for teachers to be in the habit of asking the question that you just asked, which is what am I teaching intentionally or unintentionally by whatever set of decisions I make about how I'm doing these rules? I often have teachers say, I co-create my norms and rules with kids at the beginning of the year. Okay, awesome. What do you do when those rules are broken? If you kick a kid out, you've undone whatever community building work you've done through this co-creation of norms. So I don't say, for example, as a blanket statement, co-creating rules is gonna solve your problems. No, it isn't. So what are we gonna do when someone violates a rule? How are we gonna respond to harm? What are the actual skills required for taking accountability for something I've done when I've caused harm? Those are, those are not skills that people are born having. You ask teachers to consider whether their classroom management actions are grounded in cultivating safety or control. What's the difference between safety and control? Well, I think, okay, so this is a really, really important and hard question right now because school safety is such a tricky um, and loaded and difficult subject. When something really tragic like a school shooting happens, our instinct is to want to tighten security. So our ideas around how to make school spaces, really any public space safer, is to increase measures of security, surveillance, policing, metal detectors. So we go to measures that decrease freedom, <laughs> in the name of safety. And I get that instinct because we're really conditioned around policing 
and security as our strategies of safety. Those are measures of control. So safety is the practice of freedom responsibly, right? So not freedom practiced as I do whatever I want. Freedom practiced as I'm oriented toward an ethos of we keep us safe. We don't rely on security or surveillance. We see each other. We take care of each other. We mind our actions in terms of how they affect and impact other people. We learn to take accountability for the harm that we cause and set things right. Those are the things that increase our safety. People actually need more freedom, less constraint, not more control. There are studies coming out now that say kids who sheltered in place and had to miss out on a few years of school are really bad at handling disagreements. When conflicts between students come up, what can teachers do to make sure that kids take accountability and learn how to find solutions for themselves? School is kids' first exposure to the problems of community. And so it's the space and the time to skill build around harm, around how we treat each other, how and whether we take care of each other, what the real challenges are in balancing what I need against what a group needs. Those are really hard democratic problems that kids need many years of practice with. Sometimes teachers aim to solve all problems through how they do rules and policies. And I just want to invite teachers to realize like solving all problems takes away kids' opportunities to practice how to solve problems. If you eliminate and avoid all conflict <laughs> by having a really, really well-managed space, then kids only grow to understand that the person in power gets to do that. And then kids don't know how to do basic stuff when it's their turn to to manage a space. They don't know, you know, even how to necessarily work well in a small group because they haven't had practice having problems and then being supported in, in learning how to solve those problems. For teachers who are using this reframe, what should they be prepared for as far as extra work? It sounds like maybe they have to pay more attention in the classroom and that they have to be ready to work through tensions with students. You know, I, I'm not all the way convinced that this doesn't save time. The main way that time gets wasted in classrooms is power struggle. When I'm in classrooms and I count the number of minutes spent on redirecting people <laughs> and like methods of just control over bodies, over our next moves, over our time, the amount of minutes, instructional minutes spent on that effort, just inviting kids into the into the genuine problem of how to share a small space and a set number of resources for the time that you have. I'm not convinced it's extra work over and above all the problems and nightmares that occur, which is I tell you what to do, you do it. If you choose not to do it, we engage in a public power struggle that usually results in your exclusion. That's what we do right now. It's exhausting. It's driving teachers out of our profession. It's pushing kids out of school. It's not working for us. How have you seen students respond when teachers give up some of that control? 
people who are used to being controlled for a long time learn to want that control. You know, when kids are asked their favorite teachers, they often name the one that was the most strict, you know, the one that had the most rules, the one who was least lenient. And that's for a few reasons, including that to them, it signaled that that teacher cared enough about their safety to demand that nobody was going to step out of line. And they prefer for the teacher to just be in charge. It gives them a sense of safety and security because we're all conditioned toward policing. And so a teacher behaving like a police <laughs> officer is sometimes a comfort to those of us who, who just feel like we need somebody to just be in charge here. We're afraid of each other's freedom. That's a really hard shift to make for everybody, not just for teachers, but for young people as well, to say, we're going to trust each other. The fundamental shift that I'm trying to make is reminding teachers that our profession is one in which we literally get to try out and practice and prepare kids for a different and better and more free world than the one that we have now. One big question you invite teachers to ask themselves as they think about classroom management is, why do I teach? Why do you suggest that? I just want to make sure to say it's a hard time to ask people why they teach because teachers are so abused, abused, mistreated, disrespected, disinvested in. It's very hard to want to continue to be treated that way. If I teach to prepare kids just to enter the world as it is right now, what a shame. What a wasted opportunity to do something different and better. But if the reason I teach is because I want a safer and a freer and a more beautiful world than the one that we have now, and I believe in young people as stewards of that possible future, then I'm gonna make different moves in my everyday as a teacher. And so I think teachers need to name for themselves, what am I passing along to young people as a possible vision for a future that they can make? We need a collective pause nationwide around what do teachers do? And stopping to recognize like there is no, there's nothing without teachers. We need to get people excited about teaching again. We need to get people excited about the possibility of that profession as a world-changing one and how critically important that profession is to the world that we might have. Thank you to Carla Shalaby. If you'd like to learn more about her work, you can check out her book, Troublemakers, Lessons in Freedom. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more minisodes that bring you stories from teachers finding solutions in education and beyond. Hit follow on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss out. Our editor is Chris Hambrick. Seth Samuel is our sound designer. Jen Chien is our head of podcasts. And Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. For MindShift, I'm Nima Gobier. Hi, 
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 